1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad that you could join us today. For those of you who have been with us for many years, uh, we've been doing Go Green Radio for 10 years now. You are going to recognize the voice of our guest today because he's somebody that I love to have back over and over again. Richard Heinberg is a senior fellow in residence at the Post Carbon Institute and he has written 13 books, many of which we have previewed on Go Green Radio, but one of the things that I appreciate so much about Richard is that his research is thorough, it's based on credible sources, but the thing that's fantastic about having Richard on the show is that he can take very complicated academic uh, topics and bring them right to an accessible level for everybody to understand. And that's why I am super excited about a brand new education piece that he has. It's an online course called Think Resilience. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome back to Go Green Radio, Richard. I'm always glad to have you on the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Joe. It's great to be talking with you again.
1: Well, I am excited to give you a chance to talk about Think Resilience, this new course that you've got. But let's begin by having you talk about the purpose of the course, and also of interest to me personally is why you chose an online course format.
2: Right. Well, uh, as you said, I've, I've written a bunch of books um, about uh many different aspects of the sustainability crisis and I work for a uh an environmental think tank and we're constantly doing uh research in in various related areas and so you know this is a ton of information that we have at our fingertips and um, we wanted to find some way of getting the very most important information uh in front of people who are you know not necessarily big readers who have want to read you know another big book or people who are you know really busy and who uh, absorb most of their information online and uh through podcasts and things like that, so we created this um this course which consists of about four hours of material divided up into 22 short videos. So it's really user-friendly. It's in bite-sized format, but it it covers all the most important information you will need to know about our environmental crises and what to do about them.
1: I love that. And and just, you know, as a person who has read a lot of the materials, not just your own, but those that are put out by the Post Carbon Institute, I I do think it's a great way of reaching perhaps a a different audience and the way that they like to receive information. I think that in and of itself is very respectful. and, And that's what I love about you do. You know, you really respect the needs of your audience um, with what they need to know, but also what they need to know about what's next and what to do. And I love that. Um, Let's kind of start at at the beginning and talk about this word resilient. What does it mean in your definition to be resilient? Is it an attribute that is sort of hardwired in some people, that some people are just naturally resilient? Or is it more of a of a character trait that can be learned and possibly perfected?
2: Right. Well, resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity. And uh, it's, it's, it is, as you say, something that is a, a character trait that some people have more than others. Uh, sometimes it's innate. Uh, you know, some of us just are uh, naturally uh, ready to uh, bounce back from hard times, and, and others of us, you know, uh, get hit really hard, even by by small things. But we can learn to be more resilient uh, by challenging ourselves, by by, uh, by, uh, by learning some of the character traits that, that resilient people s- sometimes naturally have. But what's important, what we talk about in the course, for the most part, is how to make our society more resilient. Because our, our, our society right now is, it's powerful, certainly. I mean, we've never had an economy bigger than the economy that we have now. We have power in all kinds of forms, uh, you know, military power, economic power, and uh, just uh, energy power. But we're also fragile, in that the, the systems that we've created, our food system, our political system, our economic system, uh, are... Are vulnerable to disruptions that are entirely foreseeable, and we're seeing more and more of those disruptions in the form of, of climate change, of economic uh, fragility, like we saw back in 2008, more political turbulence, and, and so on. So what we really need is a more resilient society, and that's, that's uh, I think that's the biggest goal right now.
1: Hmm. And and that is so important. And I know we talked about this on a previous show. You have a um, a community resilience guide that people can get a hold of. But this course goes into even more detail about the role right. that we can play. Um, and so I want to dive into some of those topics. But before we do, you know, I watched the introductory video, and you mentioned something that really sparked my interest. You mentioned that as a baby boomer yourself, you have some reflections on your generation's performance when it comes to the environment, and you feel a sense of duty to share what you've learned with younger generations. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about your thoughts on that topic and and, um, help us understand this.
2: Right. Well, you know, I think we Baby boomers generally failed. Um, I remember back when I was uh, in school, uh, the the environmental movement was just getting going, the very first Earth Day, uh, books being published about uh, population, energy, and so on. Some really great stuff was happening in the early 1970s, and then we got the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. It seemed as though we were going to turn around some of the worrisome trends that we were just starting to see back in those days, having to do with uh, pollution and uh, overconsumption of resources and and so on. but uh, we didn 't manage to do it We, we, we dropped the ball and i 'm frankly a bit of ashamed of my generation at what we failed to accomplish over the last few decades, and I kind of feel like I owe it. To younger generations, to um, to <laughs> to make up for some of that failure, to the extent that that I can, that that we can, as a uh, post carbon institute, as an organization, and that's one of the reasons for this video series. Uh, I wanted to be able to pass along uh, some of the information I've learned through decades of of study and work and research to uh, younger people who may be in school right now and who uh, may benefit from having, you know, a bird's eye view of our, our current situation and what they can do about it.
1: I'd like to ask you just a quick follow-up to that question, because I find this, you know, the, the generational issues involved in environmental public policy really interesting. Do you think that the the baby boomer generation was too heavily reliant upon passing policy in other words you know if we get the clean air act we're good if we get the clean water act we did it um whereas you know what i'm seeing in some of your think resilience uh, information is is much more about you know a a lot more than just passing public policy do you do you feel like that's the shift the key shift
2: yeah you know um public policy is part of of the answer. Uh, We -hmm. definitely need better policies, but we also need to just understand that the the way of life that we've adopted in high-consuming nations is fundamentally unsustainable, and we have to look at that in terms of our own personal lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, pollution, for example, uh, it uh, there, there are certainly things we can do at the policy level about pollution, but it also has to do with you know, billions of individual choices about uh, the kinds of uh, products we use and what we do with them after we use them and just how much we choose to uh, consume and use.
1: Mm-hmm. Well said. You know, I noticed too, um, and I'm smiling while I say this because, you know, you probably remember me mentioning that I'm a former military officer. And I noticed in the introductory video that there were three framed posters in the background. And and I picked up on the message, I and I, I bet our, our viewers, our listeners will if they become viewers of the videos, but I know they weren't accidental props. They carried right. a very important message, and I'd love for you to talk about that and, and why those were in the background of your introductory video.
2: Right. Well, these are World War II posters, and uh, a couple of them have to do with uh, growing a victory garden mm-hmm. uh, because that was that was a, a solution back in World War II. We needed everybody to be involved in the war effort and uh, one of the ways that, that people could get involved was to keep chickens at home, to grow uh, a vegetable garden, uh, and that helped with the, the resilience of the nation as a whole. It enabled the nation to put more of its resources behind uh, the, the war effort. So, in a, in a sense, we're faced with the need for a kind of war effort now, but in a, Totally different direction. If we're going to avert catastrophic climate change and other uh, converging crises, environmental, social, and economic crises, we are going to have to work together and sacrifice. Uh, and that's that last word sacrifice is not something we're comfortable with these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something that we uh, we got to we got used to back in World War II as a society. But uh, these days we all want to be comfortable. We ha- want to have everything taken care of for us. We want other people to solve the problems for us. But life isn't like that. At some point we have to uh, we have to take things on our own shoulders, uh, and, and make some sacrifices. Well, and I think
1: that that is a tough message, but it's the right one. Because, you know, one of the things that I learned when I was in the, the military, they give us two really big words that helped me get through a lot when I was on active duty, but much more in my life since then. Adapt. And overcome and to me that that is resilience the ability to adapt and overcome that's a big part of it anyway um, but I really appreciate your willingness to, to give that, hey, everybody, it's time to eat your vegetables message because not a lot of people are. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that is, is going to be critical. Well, we've got to take a, a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we've got so much more to talk about with Richard Heinberg from the Post Carbon Institute. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Richard Heinberg. He's a senior fellow at the Post Carbon Institute. You can find their website at postcarbon.org. And he has just released a brand new online course called Think Resilience. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, Richard, I want to give you a chance to uh, talk about an upcoming event that you have on March 28th. Some of our listeners in the Ontario region could actually get to meet you. So tell us about that.
2: Uh, Right. I'll be speaking in Guelph, Ontario, um, uh, and the title of the talk is "Resilience in the Face of climate change it 's being put on by transition guelph and the, the transition groups are all over the world there 's thousands of them and they 're working on transitioning their local communities away from fossil fuels. So I wanted to support the great work that they 're doing in uh, in Guelph and uh, so that's if, if folks want to find out more, the best way is just to Google Heinberg. That's my last name, H E I N B E R G, and uh, uh, Guelph, G U E L P H, and you'll you'll get a, uh, a, a web page on that event.
1: Perfect. Well, I hope that our listeners in that area of the world will come on out and meet you and shake your hand and thank you for all your great work. Now back to your online course, Think Resilience. It's divided into 22 lessons, and I'd like to talk about some of them in hopes that our listeners are going to rush right out and register for the course immediately (laughs) after the show because this is good stuff. Um, Part one of the course includes lessons that help us understand uh, what you call our converging crisis. And I'd love to start with energy. Um, You and I have talked about energy in depth before, but give us sort of a snapshot of the lesson that you cover and what's going on with energy that contributes to the crisis.
2: Right. Well, I think energy is the most important thing to understand about uh, the human situation right now. It's energy that enables us to do anything that we do, and we in the modern world have access to energy uh, in quantities that dwarf uh, anything available to people in, uh, in previous times in history. Uh, it all started, of course, with uh, harnessing fire, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, but then uh, it really snowballed in the last couple of hundred years with uh, fossil fuels. And today, uh, you know, pick any object, like a, a smartphone. Um, that represents little fires that are burning all over the place, little fires that drove the, the mining equipment that mined the, the raw materials for that uh, smartphone, the, the little fires that were burning in the... the uh, uh, the, the manufacturing plants and the assembly plants and the stores the, to keep them warm and to keep them cool, any object you touch uh, was made using fire, and those fires uh, were burning fossil fuels, and the result of course, is carbon dioxide produced um, going up into the atmosphere and changing the climate, other sorts of pollution and so on so we have to understand. Uh, our energy system, where our energy comes from, and what that energy is doing. Uh, most of what that energy is doing in the short term is what we want it to do, you know, producing all these goods and services. But the side effects of that energy use are what we don't like to think about. And those side effects include, you know, changing the climate, changing the, the chemistry of the oceans, and uh, and so much more. So we have to understand energy before we can do anything else.
1: You also have lessons on population and consumption and how those issues contribute to the crisis that is looming in the 21st century. Talk to us about the role that population and consumption play.
2: Right. Well, as a result of having so much energy available to us, we've been able to increase our population uh some things that fossil fuels did for us included uh better public health uh, uh industrial agriculture producing food in larger quantities than we ever had it, had available before so our pop, our population has gone from about a billion at the beginning of the industrial revolution to close to 8 billion today Um, And our per capita consumption rates have increased as well. And we're talking about consumption of all kinds of things, everything from from forests to fish uh, to topsoil to fresh water. You know, we're consuming all available resources faster and faster with every succeeding year. But we live on a finite planet, you know, the Earth is only so big. So at some point we have to confront the limits of the planet to be able to uh, provide for the number of people that we have. So population and consumption, again, are key factors in understanding our, our situation on Earth right now.
1: Well, and it does come back to a word that you used in segment one, and that's sacrifice. I mean, yes, some of us, especially in the developed world, could consume madly, just wild rates, but in order to create a more resilient and sustainable society, we're going to have to restrain ourselves. Self-control is going to be the name of the game, um, and mindful consumption. In lesson four, in the course uh, you talk about a word that sounds kind of scary, but we're going to cover it anyway. It's called depletion. What do you mean by depletion, and how will that contribute to the crisis of the 21st century?
2: Right. Well, as we use more and more um, resources as we consume them, then they become depleted, and we're seeing depletion of many resources in in real time. Um, For example, topsoil, we lose about, 25 billion tons of topsoil each year. Uh, in uh, North America as a whole, we've lost about half of our topsoil since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Of course, that's that's the basis of life. That's the basis of our food system. Uh, fossil fuels are also depleting. And the way we deplete resources is easily understandable. We use the low-hanging fruit principle of extraction. We take the easiest to extract resources first, the cheapest to extract, and we leave the stuff for later that is less concentrated, harder to get at, um, either because of, of location or, or depth of burial or any, any of those kinds of factors. And so as time goes on, it takes more and more effort and energy and investment to get the next increment of copper ore or iron ore uh, or fresh water, uh, whatever it is, there's only one solution to depletion, and that is to cut back on consumption and at the same time to recycle whatever we can to reuse and recycle. So. You know, again, we're getting back to some of those basic principles that we learned back in the early 1970s at the beginning of the environmental movement. Only now we have to start taking them seriously.
1: Mm-hmm. Well said. And, you know, you and I have talked about this. You've done, you know, a lot of great work on peak oil and, and, and energy as a whole. And we've talked about this transition from cheap to deep, where we start talking about all these extreme forms of extraction with, with oil and gas and coal and, and, and what that does to the net energy impact you know we get less for more effort and as a result that will deplete what we the services that we get from those resources and and that's going to come as a shock to a lot of people who have felt like you know we've got this infinite supply or every resource is renewable well there's a reason we call them fossil fuels they were created <laughs> at a certain time and point in history and if we use them all up or use all that we can reasonably get to guess what we're out of them so um you know this is this is a pretty simple concept and yet one that you know I, i don't hear talked about nearly enough now I'd love for you to talk to us about how pollution is contributing to the crisis. I mean, honestly, you know, I was born in 69, so I grew up even on Saturday morning cartoons. There were commercials about litter and keeping America beautiful. It seems like we've been talking about pollution my whole life, and it's still a huge issue. So talk to us about the, the convergence of pollution and the 21st century crisis we're facing.
2: Right well, we have managed to clean up certain kinds of pollution. Uh, we don't put lead in paint anymore you know for example, um, mm-hmm. we have managed to clean up some of the uh, worst polluted rivers in the. US. Uh, we have Superfund sites that we uh, you know devote millions and billions of dollars to cleaning up. But the fact remains that we're continuing to pollute our environment, sometimes in more subtle ways, but, but it's catching up with us as time goes on. One of the ways is plastic pollution. You know, we use uh, billions of tons of plastics every year, and they degrade slowly. Uh, they, we put most of them in landfills, but a lot of them end up in water that uh, flows down creeks into rivers and rivers into the ocean, and now there's a huge—it's uh, called the Pacific Gyre—a uh, a, a giant area of the Pacific Ocean that's filled with pieces of plastic, all the way from microscopic particles all the way up to uh, flip-flops and you know plastic junk that you would recognize. Uh, and that's being, uh, as that is, is uh, gradually degraded into the ocean, it's being consumed by ocean dwelling creatures, which then become food for humans. So these, the, the chemicals that make up plastic are gradually entering the food chain, and that's showing up in the bodies of uh, animals even terrestrial animals, not just animals in in the oceans, and even in in humans. And so it's gradually uh, changing the human body. The the chemicals that we're putting into the environment are gradually changing the human body. One of the ways is that we're seeing uh, declining sperm counts in men as a result of the uh, hormone-mimicking chemicals that are in these, uh, this plastic pollution. This is only one form of pollution that we're, that we're seeing in the environment. The, the other form of pollution that's, that's really important for us to understand, of course, is climate change. The pollution that comes from those billions of fires that, uh, that power and make all the stuff that we use uh, as those fires burn fossil fuels. They release carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and they they cause the climate to to gradually shift in ways that we're only beginning to understand. And this is the this is the biggest pollution crisis uh, that human beings have ever caused because it's it's affecting. Uh, the entire planet and every species on the planet and it's not going to be easy to to undo uh, we can mm-hmm. reduce the climate change that we're causing by reducing the amount of uh, fossil fuels that we're using and switching to other energy sources but it's going to be difficult to undo the carbon pollution we've already created, going from about yes. 285 parts per million CO2 to currently about 410 parts per million. Absolutely. And, you know, changing I, I think. The atmosphere.
1: Right, exactly. And I, I want to cover this in more detail. We've got to take a just a quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. We've got much more with Richard and Go Green Radio right after this.
0: news News. 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 opinion. Opinion. your voice counts call toll-free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 voiceamerica.com take a wild guess how much garbage generated in the united states today is converted into energy is it 26 percent 43 percent or 14 percent Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad to have you all tuned in and joining us today for this awesome discussion with Richard Heinberg. As I mentioned previously, he is a senior fellow at the Post Carbon Institute. Their website is postcarbon.org, and I've I've had him on again today. I love having him on the show, Uh, but he's got a brand new online course that I am very excited to promote. It's called Think Resilience, and we're talking about some of the topics. That you will learn about if you sign up for the course. And I'm urging everybody to do that. Um, You can find it by going to postcarbon.org. But uh, there's a a more direct way that you can get to it. If you hit this URL, it's um, education.resilience.org. Dot org. That'll get you right where you want to be at the online course. Now, um, Richard, I want to go back to the the lineup that you have for lessons in the course. Part two of the course um, is called Roots and Results of Our Crisis. And there are three topics that I'd like for you to talk about together. I know it's, it's a big ask, but if you could talk about political management, economic management, and belief systems. Give us a preview of what you cover in the course on these topics.
2: Uh, right. Well, this is, um, I'll do this as quickly as I can. This is from cultural anthropology um, and the study of how human societies change over time. Uh very clearly, when societies change how they get their food, just about everything within the society has to shift and adjust in response. When we went from being hunter-gatherers to growing our food as, uh, as agrarians, um, so much changed about how humans lived. Um, we started living in towns and cities. We had adopted uh, money and markets. We um, we uh, adopted um, full time division of labor, so that some people became managers and other people beca- became workers and peasants and so on. The same thing held true when we shifted to a fossil-fueled industrial uh, infrastructure. Our political systems of management and our economic management systems and our belief systems all changed to suit this new infrastructure of fossil-fueled um, uh, production so we're on the, the, the brink of another great shift. The, the fossil fuel era is not going to last forever, and in fact, it's, it's certainly coming to an end this century one way or another, whether it's through a, a managed process process. Uh, of transition, or just as a result of the depletion of fossil fuels, one way or the other, we're going to uh, return to a renewable based economy. And that has enormous implications for our systems of political and economic management and also our belief systems. You know, during the period of industrial growth, we came to believe in progress as sort of, uh, almost a religion. And when we when we talked about progress, we meant uh, technological progress that gave us higher and higher per capita consumption. That's that's a belief system that was suited to that era, but it's not going to be the, uh, a belief system that will uh, that will serve us in the post carbon world
1: understood and and that's that's a tough lesson to go through I am I, anxious to get to that point in the course I really am interested in that but there's another lesson that is a huge topic and trying to to answer this question is going to be like trying to fit a wet, watermelon into a Coke bottle but you have a lesson on biodiversity and I'd love for you to give us a snapshot of what you cover in this lesson
2: right. Well, uh, it's said that we're living in the time of the sixth extinction. There have been five uh, great extinction events in Earth history previous to uh, our time on earth and uh, and now as a result of our actions we're seeing uh, a decline in biodiversity that is on the same level as those previous mass extinctions only this time it's it's all our fault and um, This is, in many ways, the saddest part of the whole uh, course, and it's, you know, it's, it it all sort of turns around after this. But this is, I think, this is the uh, the worst uh, legacy that we human beings uh, have have ever left. Um, Some of the latest news has to do with insects. Uh, A study released just a couple of weeks ago shows that uh, the the biomass of uh, insects. Has declined by about forty uh, percent just in the last couple of decades. Um, so, you know, if you're driving your car, it used to used to be you would have bugs all over your windshield <laughs> if you got on the highway and drove a couple mm-hmm. of hours. Now, not so much because the insects aren't there. Uh, well, why is that important? Because they're essential parts of the of the web of life. They're food for uh, birds and amphib- amphibians and lizards and. Uh, and often mammals as well. But then of course, the, the amphibians and birds are food for mammals. And so the whole web of life really depends on on insects. and if they go, we go ultimately. But that's just the insects. We're also seeing decline in biodiversity um, almost across the board with, with birds, with fish, amphibians, uh, mammals. And uh, currently, if you just look at, at biomass, the, the tonnage of, <laughs> of uh, critters, uh, of the terrestrial mammals, uh, of excuse me, terrestrial vertebrate um, mm-hmm. biomass, 97% of it is made up now of people and our domesticated animals, our cattle, uh, uh, pigs, chickens, and, and so on. And the other three percent is all the wild vertebrate animals that um, you know we, we like to see in in nature documentaries and picture books mm-hmm. you know wild birds and and foxes and raccoons and all, all the rest so we 've basically taken over the whole biosphere
1: wow that's pretty shocking that is that is really important for us to understand that 's a huge responsibility on our shoulders that uh, we really need to consider our impact um, on biodiversity. And again, it kind of goes back to, and I don't know why this is such a revolutionary topic in environmental education, but it's being consistently emphasized that we need to teach children that we are reliant on nature that our existence depends on nature and i don't know where we lost the idea that that was true but um you know in every i'm on the advisory board for the green schools national network and every time you see states adopting environmental education curriculum they're careful to put that in because evidently that's not obvious and and it's clear when you hear what you just said the data about what's happened to biodiversity that somehow we've as humans have, Disconnected ourselves from our absolute and utter dependence on biodiversity and the food chain, and and that is really unbelievable. You know, it's 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 a real wake up call. Um, you know, by the time we get to lesson ten in your uh, online course, uh, we enter part three of the course, and that's called making a change. And I would love for you to talk to us about some of the concepts that you cover in this three lesson section
2: all right well let me just uh cue that up here so i can remind myself
1: (laughs) yeah well and it and it's all about you know how we start to shift our thinking
2: right 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 yeah we have to begin by thinking in systems um systems thinking is, is is something that's natural to us in many ways, but we, we forget about it so often, especially in in the modern world. You know, we we, f- we think about things in kind of an instrumental way. It's like, you know, when you get a headache, you take a pill and and you hope the headache goes away. Well, why did you have the headache? You know, your body is a system composed of smaller systems that are all interacting. And you have to understand your body as a system if you're going to maintain its health. Well, the same thing with, with the planet and with uh, with human systems as well. We have to understand their boundaries, their inputs, their outputs, the information flows, the feedbacks. That's all. Those are all parts of system thinking. So um, I introduced system thinking and some of the basis of it, and how that can help us understand, you know, what's what's really going on. Then we talk about shifting our cultural stories because we we have cultural stories that keep us locked in certain kinds of behavior. Um... So, we talk about moving from a consumer economy. we we're, we're encouraged to think of ourselves as consumers, From shifting from the consumer economy to a conserver economy, where we begin to think of ourselves as being responsible for uh, conserving life for the next generations from things to relationships and experiences. Consumerism is based on, you know, we, we always want more things. Go out and buy more stuff. But how about having better relationships and more and richer experiences? That's going to make us a lot happier than just having more stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, going from a Perpetual growth economy to a steady state economy, and and so on. So these are these are some of the cultural stories that we that we need to change, and uh, uh, that's that's going to be essential to you know surviving this century.
1: Well, and it's interesting, Richard, because you know I mean if you walk into any bookstore or if you shop online for parenting materials, you will find just a kajillion and a half, to be very exact, uh, pieces of information (laughs) (laughs) on all the different things that that parents need to do to uh, prepare their children for the next stage of life, whatever that may be. There are books on infancy and toddlers and middle schoolers and high schoolers and all of that. And I feel like that what you just discussed needs to make it somehow into that genre of parenting, tips, because it really will be families that make that shift together and teach the next generation to think that way. And I really feel like that needs to make it into that construct somehow. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we've got so much more with Richard and Think Resilience. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voice take a wild guess how much garbage generated in the united states today is converted into energy is it 26 percent 43 percent or 14 percent
1: Welcome back to Bill Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in and so happy to have Richard Heinberg on the show today. We're talking about his brand new online course called Think Resilience. And, you know, there there are 22 lessons that, I, I mean, we could talk all day about, you know, what you have in the course. And there's no way we'll get to all of them. But part five of the course covers the economy and society. And there are some really fascinating lesson topics that I'd like for you to touch on. Um, you talk about how globalization undermines resilience, and I'd love for you to give us kind of a snapshot of what that lesson entails.
2: Sure. Well, globalization is really the result of our pursuing uh, economic efficiency. And economic efficiency sounds good, you know, it's it, we're saving ourselves money, getting cheaper products, and, and so on. And we can do that by centralizing production in places that have the cheapest raw materials and the cheapest labor. But there's a trade off involved there. Um, think about it this way suppose uh, you can grow corn cheaper in Iowa than any place else, and that's almost true um so economic efficiency would say well we should grow all of our corn in iowa and uh and not grow any corn anyplace else so you get your cheapest corn that way but you also reduce the resiliency of your overall food system why because if the corn crop fails in iowa then, first of all, Iowa doesn't have anything. They have a they have a very uh, uh, non-diversified and therefore non-resilient economy. And nobody anywhere else has corn because all their corn would have come from Iowa and the crop failed. So a more resilient food system would not necessarily be a more efficient food system from an economic standpoint, but it would be one that would be more... Uh, able to weather, um, challenges of all kinds, economic, weather, uh, and, and others. So, in the course, we talk about how that comes down to cases in our food systems, making our food systems more localized the way they once were, where we grow more of our food closer to where we're consuming it, reducing the food miles, reducing the the amount of transportation and warehousing that has to go on, and, and thereby reducing the, some of the greenhouse gas emissions associated with those things, but also just making life more interesting, knowing the people who are growing some of your, at least some of your food, knowing the people who are at least making some of your stuff, and, and being able to repair it locally, all of that just makes your life happier. And studies mm-hmm. have shown this. When, uh, when all of our economy is outsourced to people we don't know and don't care about, then, uh, then life just becomes kind of uh, uh, bland and frightening.
1: Mm-hmm. and our relationships become more transactional than they are about caring and nurturing fellow human beings and and exactly. I yeah I'm excited to, to take that course myself I'm getting ready to sign up right after this episode and I hope our <laughs> listeners will too the course includes lessons on social justice and education as well how do these topics help communities become more resilient
2: well you um, <clears throat> In the U.S. and a number of other countries, and in the world as a whole, we've been seeing a a very worrisome trend over the last few decades. And that is a trend toward greater levels of inequality. Um, It's true that on the whole, you know, GDP is increasing and therefore our our per, per capita rates of consumption are increasing. But, you know, if you look at how that benefit is spread around, it's, it's very unequal. Um, for many people in the U.S., uh, even though the economy has grown in recent decades, they're actually making the same in terms of purchasing power as back in the 1970s or less. Meanwhile, uh, others who are more in, certain, let's say, the investor class, Have made off like bandits and they've seen their their real incomes double and triple and quadruple. Well, the problem with this is that as societies become more unequal, they become less stable and less resilient. Uh, So this has nothing to do with, uh, you know, political theory, socialism or Marxism or anything else. It's just simple, uh, you know, factual data from the study of history. Uh, so if we don't want our society to become uh more fragile less resilient and and more prone to uh political violence then we have to do something about social justice um, and education is a big part of that uh the, the this whole think resilience course is really an effort to uh educate um more and more folks about what really matters. We have an educational system in this country that's preparing our young people to live in a society that is basically an extension of what has existed for the last few decades, an industrial growth economy. But the, the future is actually going to be very different from that. Uh, we don't know exactly what the future is going to look like, but we know that it's going to be turbulent. We know it's we're going to be living through times of climate change. We know that we're going to be living in a a very dynamic world that is uh, rapidly shifting from reliance on fossil fuels to other sources of energy. The economy is going to be shifting in profound ways. So we need education that prepares young people for that kind of world. We need a resilience-based education that reconnects them with the natural world, with their own personal uh, sources of adaptation, Ad- adaptability and resilience. So that's mm-hmm. what those lessons are about.
1: Mm-hmm. And you also have a lesson towards the end of the course called resilience in major sectors. And I'd love for you to give us just a little overview of that topic.
2: Sure. Um, well, the, the major sectors of society that we that we talk about are um, <clears throat> food, water energy and money, uh, those are the, the things that all of us depend on. If those sectors of society fail, if the, if the food system fails, if our water system fails, if our money system fails, then, you know, life can't go on the way it is. So those are the, the, the systems that we need to make more resilient Uh, Our food system, by making it more localized, our water system, um, we talk about that in in some detail in in the lesson. Our energy system, of course, we need to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels and reduce uh, the, the a total amount of energy that we're using, and our money system. How do we make our money system more localized? Uh, make it more controllable by 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 us, rather than just being controlled by mega banks that may be in Wall Street or even who knows where. Um, by rely, we can we can do that by relying more on local currencies and local financial institutions like credit unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that we can do in each of these areas to make our community uh, more, more resilient and better able to weather the kinds of challenges we have ahead.
1: Well, I really appreciate the way that you have organized this course. I mean, you, you do such a great job of taking us from what's what's causing this crisis, um, where the the roots and the results of the problem are, and then you take it into um, a, a section and an area that that really I think will help everybody who takes this course feel empowered to do something about it, and and something besides just paint posters and march in the street there's a there's a role for that but there's something more that we can all do and you really do a great job of laying out that path you can get to the course uh through postcarbon.org richard thank you for being on the show and thank you to all of our listeners for being with us as well we'll be here same time same place next week with more go green radio and until then have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green